Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called light night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the night to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth and it was so God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night and he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, 
and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the seas, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Good to see you. Um, Today I'm going to be talking about our social relational nature as images of God. I'm going to be pointing out that it's sometimes really hard to be social and relational and we can give up on each other, essentially. But the third point I'm going to make is that God blesses us with his presence and he enables us to continue to live socially and relationally with one another. So first point is we're social creatures made in God's image for loving, joyful, hopeful relationships. Secondly, it is hard to be social and relational. And thirdly, God made us in his image. He knows us, and so he can bless us and enable us with his presence as we seek skills and support to maintain those relationships. Well, let's start with some recent um, developments in psychological science. Um, This year, there's been data released from the longest study on well-being that there has been in the world. It began in 1938 at Harvard University to do with some poor kids and some wealthy kids, and the idea was to track them through the course of their lives and in the subsequent generations to see what it is about people and what skills, what conditions lead to human flourishing. And here's the big idea. Relationships. Good, healthy relationships of different kinds are the key for human flourishing. If you have healthy relationships with others, you will flourish. And what's amazing is, is that relationality seems to go all the way down into our biology. So as part of this study, they've noticed that there are trials that indicate, for example, that wound healing is faster for people that have stronger relationships than wound healing is for people with poorer relationships. This has been empirically tested under very tight conditions. So it seems that being social and relational goes all the way down into the very fabric of what it is 
to be a human being. And in Genesis 1, what we have is a theological science that also explains why it is that we're so relational and gives us a wider perspective on the significance of relationality. And very importantly, Genesis 1 tells us that we can be productive as well as relational creatures. That's super helpful in our culture today because we live in a culture of hyperwork and hyperproductivity in which we often leave relationships behind for the sake of work and productivity. So what Genesis 1 is going to point out is that you can be relational and productive together in the context of a blessed life with God. So let's look together at Genesis. Well, the, the big idea as we begin with Genesis is Genesis 1.1, the earth is formless and empty. Things don't have forms. They haven't been created according to their kind. But what we find as God makes created beings is that he differentiates kinds of things. So God says in verse 11, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it according to the various kinds. So God has a design for these things, a kind. And it's, God sees that it's so and it's good. God endorses things when they are according to their kinds and God saw that it was good. God then moves on to create conditions in which things can flourish according to their kind. It says in verse 14, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day and the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so, and God makes two lights. He separates the earth from the sea. He makes sure that these plants can grow according to their kind on dry land, according to cycles of nature. There's planets there, there's regular gravity, for example. There's the kind, and then there's the conditions for growth. We see the same thing as God makes kinds of animals and provides the conditions for their growth. We see in verse 20, God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. So the language of kind comes up again and again and again. It's for plants, it's for winged creatures, and it's for sea creatures. Verse 24, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And then later at the end of that section, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it's good. So God endorses, approves of creatures flourishing according to their kind. So we might ask ourselves as humans, what's our kind? What kind of a life is the life of which God approves and endorses? What is the good life? That's the quest across cultures. It's to live the good life. So what is our kind? What's amazing here is that there's a shift away from kind language to being made in God's image. So we're told what our kind is, but it's very specific. God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. Oh, that's our kind. Our kind is to reflect 
God, to be partial mirrors of God, to be creaturely reflections of him. Let us make humankind in our image in our likeness, so that they might rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, he says. And then God goes on to describe what this ruling involves. It involves ordering creation such that there is enough of this green plant food, verse 29 and 30, for all. So God says, I give to you, I give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has a fruit and seed in it, they're yours for food. That's for the humans. And then humans are to rule and subdue the earth and to till it such that all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, also is able to eat. So humans are part of the conditions for flourishing for other creatures. We till the earth well, other creatures flourish. But guess what? There are also conditions for our flourishing. What are they? Well, it's the gift of God himself and his presence in the garden, as we read from Genesis 3. And then it's other human persons, other condition for interpersonal flourishing. So if you want to flourish, the conditions for your flourishing aren't just physical. You do need food. You do need an ordered creation. You need God's presence. And you also need other people. You're created in God's image together with other persons. People need people in order to flourish. We're highly relational creatures. And it means that we're going to reflect a number of qualities of God if we're going to live into our relationality. For example, you might have noticed that tilling the ground and being those who produce food, and substance for the planet is actually about us focusing on the well-being of the land and of the other creatures. This is God's unselfish love that we're reflecting. It's also his wisdom. Remember, as it says in Proverbs, God creates through his wisdom, which is righteousness. Humans are to rule in righteousness so that there's flourishing. So you're reflecting God's unselfishness, his wisdom in the way that you rule. And then as we relate to one another, we also reflect God's love. Jesus calls us to love God and to love one another, thereby reflecting the fact that God is always in himself, John 17, John 14, the one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who love and glorify one another in stable love forever. So we're to reflect God's love, God's wisdom. That's what it is to be an image of God. Images make visible the invisible. Images of people make visible to us those people that are no longer with us. 
and images of God make visible God. So friends that we have amongst our community, Mike, I'm just going to pick on you. Um, Mike makes obvious to me God's qualities. So, for example, we, we spent a whole day together editing a book a couple of weeks ago at Mike's house. Mike was friendly, he was wise, he was loving. It was great being together. And the goodness of Mike and Naomi and the kids who were also home also reminded me of God's goodness. And that's great. We are all signs that point to God's greatness. Why does that matter? It's because God is the primary enabling living being for our flourishing. He's the primary relationship that you need to have in order to flourish. Of course I need images of God because they remind me that I'm not just relational generally, but that I'm made for relationship with God himself and other people. That's why we need images of God. We are made for relationships all the way down. Psychology suggests it, biology suggests it, social studies and theology suggest it too. Well, notice that being productive and being relational, they go together in Genesis 1. They're not pitted against one another. You can have both. You can be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it, Genesis 1.28. You can rule and you can fill relationally with offspring. You can have fruits in the garden, as in literal fruits, and you can also have fruits of love, children. They go together. So to flourish, we need relationality with productivity, not hyperwork at the cost of relationality, and not relationality at the cost of productivity. Well, you might say to me, that's great, and it's lovely that in practice, churches like St. Jude's, St. Alf's, have programs of welcoming people in, small groups, Bible studies, and so forth, that are there to promote healthy Christian relationships because that's going to lead to Christian flourishing. That's awesome. But you might push back and go, the fact is relationships and being social is too hard. So I'm just not going to do it. I'm not capable. And you know what? There's really good reasons for, what, for doing that. For example, humans have a problem. It's called the trouble of forecasting. Psychologically, if you introduce me to some new people, the majority of us are going to go, oh, that's cool. And then when someone says, hey, Reese, do you want to catch up for coffee with this new person? I mean, you're a bit different because you're Reese. But um, usually, <laughs> someone who's not great at relationships and mentoring like Reese would forecast that that relationship at the end of the day isn't going to go great. So you'll be like, nah, like, thanks, but nah, maybe not. So we just have this problem, weirdly, of forecasting relationships and thinking that they're not going to go as well as actually the way they probably would go. That's weird, isn't it? So we're down on relationships, it seems, in a strange default setting after the fall. Also, relationships are just simply complicating, complicated because people are complicated. Another reason that we're not into relationships is that it's actually hard to compete. Uh, we're always comparing our insides with people's outsides. So I see your outside, I see your outside on social media. Your life looks great. I'm comparing your outside to my inside. I have parts of me that are sad, parts that are disappointed, parts that are anxious. So when someone introduces me to Andy, 
um, or to Brian or anyone else on faculty, I might be like, eh, Hannah's kind of got it all together and I don't. If we have coffee or dinner, it's just gonna be too awkward, right? So that comparison game prevents us from engaging with one another. And, and it's just not healthy, so we're withdrawing. We're essentially withdrawing from one another and we have this huge plague of loneliness at the moment. And if only we could re-engage. Well, here's the thing. Because we're made to reflect a relational God, he's a God that knows that we're relational and he's a God that knows how to enable relationships. This is super important because someone who's moved away from relationships and at the moment perhaps you need some refreshing in terms of your relationships. Here's an important reminder. God has made you for encounter and connection with others. He understands what it's like to be a human person because of the incarnation. He understands our struggles, as it says in Hebrews. Also, because he indwells in you, he knows particularly your struggles with other people. Therefore, God has general empathy. I get that it's hard to be human. And he has particular empathy. I understand your story, Brian, and I know the problems you've had relationally, but guess what? I am with you, says God. The Trinity dwells within us. And God is the one who wants you to flourish according to your kind, according to your relationality. So surprise, surprise, God dwells within and through his spirit, as it says in Galatians, he is renewing us to become a different kind of relational person. Someone who becomes part of the enabling conditions for the flourishing of others. This is a calling, guys. Being made in God's image is a calling. And it's a calling that goes with God's presence. It's a calling to love God and one another and therefore be there so that others may become more fully the persons that they are called to be. I can't flourish without you, and you can't flourish without those other people around you. It's a very deep lesson, and it's a lesson that we need to put in practice. But the message I have for you is that it's not a lesson that you need to put in practice alone. God can support us as we seek other human support and skills to repair relationships. So, for example, God might bring some wisdom into your life through a friend. John might draw alongside. And John might, in his wisdom as an image of God, suggest a great counsellor who's been very helpful in John's context. That counsellor, another human, may help me develop skills in relationships so that I don't withdraw, avoid and blame others, but I can actually take ownership of the complexity of myself and in a trusting relationship with a counsellor, unburden, learn skills so that I maybe live be able to live up to my nature, to my kind, as an image of God who is social. That will refresh you, 
it means I live up according to my nature and it will have all these knock-on effects in terms of flourishing and well-being in our churches. So one of the most important messages for us today is to recognise that every person with whom we deal is a person made for relationships, is a person made and called into relationships in which God himself is there and is calling people. Even if you're tired, even if those relationships require repair, there is hope for you with God as one of the conditions for one another's flourishing. We are gifts to one another, surprisingly, under God. Thank you.